Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Mid American Bandwagon Podcast, episode forty-seven. I'm your co-host, as usual, Sam Tillman, joined as usual by my co-host Zach Faldor. Zach, how are you doing on this fine uh, Wednesday evening? I'm doing fantastic, man. I'm doing fantastic. You know, anytime we get to this time of the year, it's like late May, early June. As soon as we hit this time, it's like the NBA playoffs are still going on, but I'm I'm ready for football season, and I'm excited. We're going to get to talk some football tonight. You know, some other some baseball, some other stuff going on too, though. So it's a good time of year. Yeah, I'm there with you. We're we're slowly getting towards football season. The it seems like I don't know about you, Zach, but the NFL offseason just seemed like a year long when in reality it's been what like five yeah. months because February is the Super Bowl to yeah. May. So what is that going like four going on four? Yeah, four months. It just seems like a long, way too long of an offseason compared to – I think the NBA was only like two to three months, it seemed like. Yeah, the, the football does have a, an excruciatingly long offseason. It's a tough thing. It's, a, it's the only thing I don't like about the game. You get three months of awesome action and then nine months off, basically. And, yeah, that makes it tough. But, you know, you're seeing – there's seen all these articles come out uh, last couple of days. We've got 100 days till college football kicks off. That means 100 days until the MAC is back. That excites me. That gets me going. We got, uh, you know, so the, the win totals came out. We're going to talk about that later here this episode. Um, so a lot to look forward to still. Um, but yeah, we got a we got a couple months to to get through here. Hopefully, the NBA playoffs will be good and will carry us through. I'm really hoping that the the Suns knock out the Lakers here in the first round. <laughs> I'm there with you. I think I did a uh, NBA.com prediction thing, and I have them going the. Um, Actually, the the Suns. I actually have them going to the finals. So, any anything can happen in the NBA playoffs. But anyway, um, let's move into some some general news talk, some action talk. And we got we got two things coming out of Buffalo. One on the the basketball side of things, and one on the the football side of things relating the transfer portal. Yeah, man. Uh, not a lot of good news coming out of Buffalo here lately. Um, let's, let's start with football. We talked a lot about football last week mentioned, uh, you know, new head coach, Mo linguist comes in and the, anytime you have a new head coach, you're going to have some roster churn and some guys that are going to leave last week. We spoke, they had 13 dudes in the transfer portal. That number has grown by one here, uh, as just the other day, um, safety Tyrone Hill has entered the, uh, the portal. He's going to grad transfer. He was a senior last year. So he's going to use his last year of eligibility elsewhere. Um, he was, uh, he was fifth on the team last year with 30 solo tackles. He also had six passes defended. You know, that, that, uh, that Bulls defense had some, had some really good performances last year. He was a part of that secondary. And so losing him, um, you know, especially with all of the other losses that they've had, um, you know, on, on both sides of the ball, both to the draft and, and graduation and now to the transfer portal, 
it's looking, um, you know, it's, it's going to be a rebuilding year. It looks like for the bulls in, in my estimation, I know they have a lot of guys back on offense, but I'm not sure what this defense is going to look like next year. And this is just the latest, uh, this is just the latest blow there. Like I said, he was their fifth leading tackler last year and one of their leaders in the secondary. So he'll be a hard guy to replace. Yeah, no doubt. We, we kind of touched on this last episode talking about the, you, you mentioned the enormous amount of recruits in the transfer portal. And the one thing I brought up was the fact that I don't like this as a sign, as a good sign for any new head coach. And, and you brought up the fact that last episode that an, an enormous amount of people are in the transfer portal to just see what their options are because they basically have a free um, transfer anywhere you don't get any penalty. And I, I think that is true, but I also think that this is kind of a sign of things to come. Like, yeah, we're seeing all these great things. Alumni are supporting the new head coach. And it seems like all these um, good things should be happening in Buffalo. But when you have all these players still in the transfer portal, um, it, it to me doesn't seem like a good sign that this locker room has yet be, be, kind of bought in to the philosophy that the coach is kind of talking because with any new head coach usually you see them kind of talk to the guys in the transfer portal some of the guys will obviously transfer out but there will be some guys who back off and recommit to the program like yeah. we've seen with again I bring up with the IU program uh, basketball especially they had several dudes recommit and I'm just not seeing this with Buffalo so whether it's a scheme fit whether it's a locker room fit chemistry fit personally I'm not I'm not liking what I'm seeing with you had a couple, uh, a few people enter the NFL draft and you still have 14 people in the transfer portal. You don't have a lot of time to recruit for this next season. So you need as many, many returning pieces as you can for next season. Yeah, no doubt. And, and we, we've talked a lot about the timing of it and Lance Leipold leaving for Kansas very late in the off season. And I don't think that helped coach linguist either. You think about the fact, you know, I agree completely with what, with what you're saying, Sam, that, you know, usually it's not a good sign when, when a coach is not able to, to get a lot of the previous roster to stick around. I also think it, it hurts him the fact that before he even got there, a lot of the leaders from last year's team had already gone. Jared Patterson gone to the NFL, Malcolm Koontz gone to the NFL. Those are two guys who were like senior leaders on this team. And I think if, if it wasn't a situation where they were also gone and he had an opportunity to convince them to stay, then I think a lot of people would have followed them because they were kind of the leaders, but he didn't have that opportunity. And now you're seeing, um, with the turnover and and I guess some of the you know the transition of leadership there, um, it it looks like it's going to be a rebuilding year here for the Bulls, and we'll we'll talk later in the episode a little bit about their their season outlook. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 a tough position to be in for a first year head coach, losing so many guys, both both you know so much production to the draft and to the NFL, but also all these guys leaving in the transfer portal. It's a, it's a tough spot to be in for sure. And like you said, not a lot of time to recruit to replenish the roster. Yeah, no doubt. And, and I think there's a, Zach, you could correct me if I'm wrong, but I think there's a sense that they still expect linguists, even from year one, to win a decent amount of games. Like we'll talk about later in the episode, the over-under for Buffalo is still eight wins. So yeah. you know that there's a, or eight and a half, my bad. So you know there's a sense of, even though you're you're completely rebuilding this program, that they're still expecting him to win a decent amount of games, which is kind of scary. My 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 point of view, 
But um, Zach, on the the basketball side of things, there's also some transfer portal news to get to. Yeah, so uh, this is an interesting story here. So um, if anyone remembers the name Malik Zachary, as it is uh, as it relates to Buffalo basketball, um, this is a guy who they signed prior to last season. He was a um, he was a, uh, a junior college uh, guy that they got from. Um, that they, that they signed before last year. He was coming in as a, as a sophomore, he's a local guy to Buffalo. And then last year uh, in, in September um, before the bulls started their off season practice program, um, he, he got, uh, he got arrested for a, an, uh, an assault charge uh, that happened at a, at a uh, pickup game that he was playing up near the Buffalo campus. He ended up um, pleading down to a lower charge and was then reinstated to the team. He tweeted just the other day, Another part of this story that's weird to me, he just just like five days ago, he tweeted about how he was so thankful for Buffalo for having him back and sticking by him through this whole story. And then now here just yesterday, he announced that he is, in fact, going to transfer. So this is a guy who, again, they signed him prior to last season, but he was suspended for the entire year. So he never actually played a game for the Bulls. So with, you know, from from that regard, it's not as if they're missing anything or if it's not as if they're, you know, going to have to replace his production from last year because he never saw the court. Um, but given all of the legal troubles that he's gone through and everything else that happens in Buffalo, I don't know if he maybe just felt that a, a fresh start at a new location was best for him, but he has opted to enter the transfer portal and explore his options. So really, uh, really interesting story there and kind of a, you know, a, a winding path to where he's at now. Best of luck to him. I hope he finds a, a destination where he can, you know, he can uh, get on the right track and, and play some good basketball, but it looks like it's not going to be at Buffalo. Yeah, I, I think this is smart on his end. I think if I was in Malik Zachary's shoes, I don't think I would do anything different. I think if he ever played, if he just stuck with um, Buffalo, I think the the legal troubles would just kind of overshadow whatever he would do on the court. So I think from his point of view, whether or not he decides to actually leave or not, I think if he does end up leaving, it's not a bad decision by him because I don't know what his exactly position would be in the, the program, if they would be willing to give him a lot of minutes, what his exactly role in the team would be moving forward. However, I, I do think that this is a smart get the legal troubles behind you. You pled to that misdemeanor. You move um, colleges, potentially states. You get a fresh start with a new team. Maybe you get some actual decent minutes this way. I, I think this is a win-win for both sides. Buffalo, you free up a scholarship. You can use that to somebody else. You can give somebody else minutes. I think this is a win-win for both sides. Yeah, I agree. And, um, you know, he's, like I said, he, he is local. He's, he's from the, the Buffalo area. Um, so we'll see if he looks to stay somewhere, you know, somewhere local. There's a lot of, you know, D1 programs in the area, or like you said, maybe he'll, he'll move elsewhere and try and get a fresh start in a new part of the country. Again, best of luck to him. Um, you, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's an unfortunate story, the, the way it all went down. He never actually got to play any time at Buffalo there. So we'll see where he ends up. Certainly something to monitor. Um, but again, from, from a pr production standpoint, it's not like they're, they're losing anything there because he never actually played, but yeah, we'll see what happens and uh, we'll, we'll monitor that one and see where he, uh, where he lands. Moving on to um, we've actually got some men's soccer news to talk about some exciting new additions to the Mac uh, men's soccer uh, conference. Yeah, it's uh this is a, a cool, interesting story. 
And this is something that um, I think is is cool that the Mac does, where if you look at some of the, the, the quote unquote non-revenue sports, you'll notice that they have affiliate members who, you know, members who aren't part of the conference at large, but they have specific teams and specific sports that play in the conference in men's soccer. Um, there's only uh, six teams in the, in, in the Mac for men's soccer, the only full-time Mac members that sponsor men's soccer, Bowling Green, Western Michigan, Akron, and Northern Illinois, they are joined in the Mac by West Virginia and Southern Illinois Edwardsville. And so they're going to, their membership's going to be going from six to eight this next year, as the Mac is actually expanding down into the Southeast and adding Georgia Southern and Georgia state as affiliate members in men's soccer. So expanding that, uh, that geographic uh, footprint a little bit, uh, which is, which is a pretty cool thing. Georgia state, actually, when you, when you do a little research, they're actually a pretty good program. They finished this, uh, past season at nine wins, two losses, and two draws. They were uh, competing, uh, both of these teams competing in the Sun Belt. And um, Georgia Southern, um, they were in the Sun Belt for the past seven years. Not quite as much success as a program there for the, the Eagles. But, uh, you know, they're, they're going to be, uh, these two teams are actually pretty traditional rivals down there in Georgia. So they're moving over together. The rivalry will live on. And we'll see if they get to develop some rivalries with some of these other Mac programs up here uh, a little bit north of where they're at. So welcome to the welcome to the club, Georgia Southern and Georgia State. And uh, we'll see how they're able to compete next year on the on the soccer pitch. No doubt. I think one thing interesting to point out here is kind of the distance you you look at Georgia yeah. Southern. And, um, uh, yeah, the, the two Georgia kind of uh, universities. And, and I did a quick uh, Google Maps. The distance between Western Michigan and Georgia Southern is a 14-hour car drive. And you already <laughs> have, have West, West Virginia. That's kind of a distance. So I, I think it's obviously cool to get more people, get more teams in men's soccer. I think that's one thing it was lacking. It only had six teams. It's I would say you don't really get the kind of the – I don't even know the word I'm looking for, but just essentially you don't get a lot of competition. You're facing the same teams over and over in the conference. You yeah. get a little bit of variety. And I, I think this is where the two Georgia, Georgia universities come in. But I do think it's interesting that instead of getting more Midwestern universities, they went out and got kind of two universities, which are basically um, over half a um, – half a day's drive away from, from the other teams. Yeah, I agree with you. It is an interesting move. It reminds me of back, uh, you think back a couple years when, um, you know, UMass spent a couple years in the MAC. Temple spent a couple years in the Mac, something else that, you know, a lot of folks might not remember, but if you think back to like the early two thousands, I want to say it was like maybe, 02, 03, 04, there was actually a time when UCF was in the Mac as well. They played a couple years in the Mac in football and also, and maybe it was just football if I'm remembering that correctly now, but I very distinctly remember like Ball State and Central Florida playing each other in football as conference members for a couple years. So you're right. The geography of it is a little bit weird, but it's not as if the Mac hasn't done this before. It's not necessarily unprecedented. I can't imagine 
for uh, for Georgia Southern and Georgia State, yeah, I'm sure their travel budget will have to go up a little bit to to you make these road trips up to you know to the to the Northeast and the Midwest here. But hey, maybe perhaps they're looking for a higher level of competition. Maybe the MAC is able to offer them better competition than the Sun Belt was. And um, I'm sure, like you said, Sam, it's also I think it benefits all of the MAC soccer members as well to be able to compete against eight other teams as opposed to just six. I, I think there's something to be said for that too. Yeah, and you bring up the point of the kind of the the former members in UMass and um, UCF you brought up, and you can see why the the MAC has has the members as it is because the geographic location, like UMass, didn't pan out. They didn't stick around. UCF didn't stick around because geography plays a big factor in who you want to play. Essentially, yeah, it's fun to go out and play. Wyoming once he, or Ball State play Wyoming play a game against Penn State but that's only once every what 10 years yeah on travel to Georgia Southern Georgia State Western Michigan it, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough on the athletes I know that it's gonna be tough on everybody because you're constantly gonna have to be making basically um not cross-country um really travel but lengthy lengthy distance travels every single year to play um conference members so it's gonna be interesting to see if it pans out but if it does it should be a great move for everybody involved but zach uh, we actually have some good news for really mac fans and um or more especially toledo fans coming up this football season yeah, for sure. So Toledo has um, followed the lead of some other programs that I've seen. I've seen Michigan make a similar announcement and some others as well. But um, to, good news for Toledo fans. Um, they are they did announce today that they are going full capacity at the Glass Bowl uh, for football season this coming fall. Um, like I said, Sam, we've we've seen some other programs say this. Michigan has said it. Um, I know a lot of NFL teams are starting to say they'll be back at full capacity in the fall. It it. I have my fingers crossed, my toes crossed. I'm knocking on wood. It seems like the worst of this pandemic is behind us. It seems like we're going to be able to get back to some normalcy here in the fall. And I know everybody is excited to have fans back in the stands at these sporting events. As great as it was to still have football last season, it just wasn't the same without fans there. Even, you know, even some, you know, uh, down in the like the SEC and some NFL teams having like 25% capacity or whatever. It's better than nothing, but it's not the same as having full stadiums. So I know the Toledo fans in Northwest Ohio are super excited to get back in the glass bowl this fall. I'm sure Coach Candle and that whole team is excited to have fans in the stands again. I'll be curious to see if any other MAC teams follow the, the Rockets' lead here over the next couple of weeks and announce the same thing. Yeah, I, I'm there with you. I, I I think of the some of the greatest moments in not just college football, but in college sports, and it revolves around fans. Mm -hmm. And if you take last season, we had several great moments. You take the Caleb L.V. fake spike. Imagine mm -hmm. how insane it would be to have a full stadium when that happens. Yes. Like, as, as great as that Western Michigan Ball State um, kind of um, confusion at the end was, it would have been way more insane if there was 100% capacity. And to see Toledo doing this, taking the seven in the right direction to announce this, I think is a great sign for the MAC. Hopefully Ball State will be at 100% because they already had students last season. So what's really preventing them from going back to at least some capacity, not just parents and whatnot. Everything everything about the the sports we love revolves around fans. And I think, I think this is a 
great, great step by Toledo, kind of putting their step forward, being the first ones to do this. So hopefully we get to see other MAC um, universities uh, do the same. Yeah, very well said, Sam. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think one thing that I realized over the past year, um, I think college sports more so than professional sports, I think were affected more by the lack of fans because of the atmosphere. Like not that, not that professional sports don't have an atmosphere. They certainly do. They absolutely do. But I think that the atmosphere surrounding a college football game, a college football Saturday on a campus where you have the tailgates going, you have the band, you have the full stadium, all the, all the pregame traditions, all that stuff, all of that was taken away from us last year. And um, I think that's just something that you can't replace. You can't replicate that. And as much as it's still fun to watch the game on TV, um, you know, watching it with fake crowd noise, is just not the same. It's just not the same. So I'm excited about this. This makes me even more excited for football season than I already was. Um, I, I anticipate that more Mac schools and more schools across the country in general are going to follow this lead and do it. Like I said, I've seen, I've seen Michigan already announced that they're going to be full capacity. Some schools down South are saying the same, so we'll see what happens, but um, it, it's all signs are looking up right now. It's looking good. Like we're going to have a normal football season this year. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And I'm there with you. We're all hoping for uh, full capacity. And before we move on to the spring sports, um, Zach, is there any final thoughts on the general news we had? No, I don't think so, man. I don't think so. Some uh, some good stuff here that we talked about, unless you're a Buffalo fan, you're probably uh, I know our, our Bulls uh, fans are probably sweating a little bit right now, both from football and men's basketball. But we'll continue to monitor both of those situations and we'll see what comes of them. But uh, moving on to spring sports, we're going to talk about golf. Uh, last week, we talked about Kent State's women's golf team moving to nationals. And this past week, they did just that. They participated in nationals. And um, yeah, uh, Zach, if you want to take us through the, per the performance the team had this past week. Yeah, no problem. So um, yeah, so Kent State um, finished fifth in their regional last week after they captured we talked last week and two weeks ago about the dominance that the Kent State women's golf program has had 22 straight MAC championships. Um, they went uh, to the NCAA regionals last week, placed fifth in their regional, which qualified them for the finals. Um, they came in, they were ranked 16th in the country coming into the finals. And out of the 26 teams there uh, that competed out in Scottsdale, uh, the golden flashes finished in 17th place. So um, you know, certainly nothing to hang their hat on, nothing to be ashamed of. I mean, you look at the standings and, and the final standings here. I mean, they finished in front of teams like Georgia, Kentucky, Virginia Tech, USC, Alabama. I mean, these are these are really solid programs that they beat out here in the national championship. So even though, like I said, they didn't get probably the result they would have wanted. The, uh, the, the national championship ultimately ended up going to, uh, to Stanford, who Stanford really blew everyone out of the water here. They finished at uh, 18 under through three rounds, a total score of 846. They were the only team. Think about this, Sam. They finished 18 under par, and they were the only team that finished under par. They beat the entire field by 20 strokes in this tournament. So shout out to Stanford. Heck of a performance from, from the Cardinal here. But again, nothing to hang your hat on if you're the Golden Flashes finishing in 17th state, uh, 17th place, excuse me, finishing ahead of a lot of SEC and Big Ten and Pac-12 programs. Yeah, one thing I noticed is similar to what we talked about last episode, 
they actually only finished one stroke worse than the the leaders in Stanford. Stanford had a 291 heading into the the second day. Uh, Kent State had a 292. So it just Mm. seems like Kent State has really solid day ones. And then from there, it just kind of, um, they get worse from there. And that's not, I'm not saying that to kind of take shots at Kent State, but similar to last episode, I think we talked about, they were either tied for first or they were um, just behind the leaders before kind of going from there. But um, Kent State had a great day one. Didn't get it done from there, but like you said, finishing some some great programs like Georgia, Kentucky, Michigan. For some reason, um, this website has Michigan in, in all caps. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, Kent State, shout out for being in the NCAA finals. Not everybody gets to do it. Shout out for your shout out to you guys for your continued success. I mean, um, you, you don't want to finish 17th. Obviously, you like to finish higher, if not first. But you can't um, be disappointed at the way this season turned out. Yeah, no doubt. I, I agree, Sam. And, and if there's one thing that I have learned here over the last couple of weeks, it's, it's really been how good of a women's golf program Kent State has. I think we got to put them up there with Akron men's soccer and, and some of the other great programs in the MAC. 22 straight MAC championships. I mean, to me, that, that is just completely unprecedented. Uh, so I'll be curious to see. I'll definitely be keeping an eye on them next year, see if they can make that 23. Yeah, no doubt. And we've got some uh, – we got a softball update to get to you guys. We had the um, Miami Red Hawks that we talked about. They clinched the MAC um, tournament or MAC uh, championship, were selected to play Notre Dame, and they played uh, Notre Dame this past week. Yeah, so um, anyone who underst- who knows, you know, fall is – NCA softball or baseball, you know, they start out the tournament with their, you know, the regional pods where you're in a team of, uh, you got, you got uh, what, I guess three other teams there and you play, you play it at a minimum of two games, you're guaranteed. Um, unfortunately for the Red Hawks, uh, they, they were knocked out after two games. They got edged out by Notre Dame three to two uh, in their first, uh, in their first game. I know that one broke your heart, Sam, as, uh, as someone that uh, does not a fan of the fighting Irish Miami, uh, picked up two runs in the top of the fourth inning. They were actually up two nothing, but they gave them right back and then some in the bottom of the fourth. So um, all five runs were scored in that fourth inning there. They ended up falling in that game three to two. Courtney Veerstra, who we've talked about a ton this year. I mean, she was really zooming through the lineup there the first couple innings. She only faced 10 batters for the first three innings uh, against the uh, the Fighting Irish, but then things fell apart for her a little bit there in the fourth. And then uh, from that point on, the Red Hawks just weren't able to produce any any offense there. That put them into the loser's bracket on, uh, on Saturday uh, when they ended up facing Northwestern. Similar story. They, uh, they took a one nothing lead in this game, gave it right back. They were up one nothing after the first inning. Northwestern scored three in the second. And then from there, uh, Miami just wasn't able to produce anything on offense. They held Northwestern to four hits in this game, but still gave up seven runs and uh, were only able to produce one run on five hits themselves. So Miami still, again, nothing to hang their hat on. 46 and 11, a final record on the season, including these two losses in the NCAA tournament, set a program record for wins. And, um, you know, still a really, really good year for the Red Hawks. Um, We we wish they could have got a victory here, at least one in the NCAA tournament. Wasn't meant to be, but I don't think this program is going anywhere. I think the Red Hawks are going to be right back in this spot next year. Yeah, no doubt. And, and I think what's interesting, you bring up the point that you play a minimum of two games because of the double elimination factor. They do this also in uh, college baseball, correct? 
they do. Yep. And, and I just think it would be crazy to see how this would be applied to other sports if they did this in, say, college basketball, college yeah. football. I think it would just be crazy, the dumb elimination factor in other sports. But bringing back to the softball, I think, I think like we talked about with every other sport, yeah, you're disappointed to lose in the NCAA tournament, obviously. But Miami, Ohio, not just a, a good season, not just a great season, a record-breaking season, a – a, a just season to just remember if you're a Red Hawks fan. I mean, just look at their record. It, it's just incredible what a season they had, not only in conference play, but non-conference play. 46-9. and nine. I mean, that, that in of itself is just an astonishing feat that anybody should be proud of. Uh, Ball State had the um, NCAA record uh, for saves, Miami University had a had a team a season to forget. You uh, Ball State had one player. You had an entire season that just yeah yeah you lost seven to one to Northwestern, three to two Notre Dame, and who mm-hmm. knows what what Notre Dame does from here, whether they win the national championship or not. But the matter of fact is, you you guys had one heck of a season. You should be proud of that. No doubt at all. No doubt at all. And, and when you look at this roster for Miami softball and, and, and some of the main contributors, Courtney Veerstra, the, the all everything pitcher, she's a senior, she's gone. So that that's going to hurt for sure. But other than that, I mean, Carly Spade, freshman of the year in the conference up for one of the, you know, up for the national freshman of the year, Carly Juarez, also a freshman, Adriana Barlow, a junior, I mean, junior Brianna Pratt, also a very good pitcher. So these are all uh, ladies that really, really contributed a lot this year. They're all going to be back. So again, I don't see the Red Hawks going anywhere. I expect them to be contending for a Mac title again next year and end the NCAA tournament berth. So much like you said, Sam, nothing to, to hang your head about if you're a Red Hawks softball player or softball fan. I think there's a lot of good things ahead for the program. Yeah, and I, I think I think it's safe to say my, my prediction is I don't think Miami University will be able to repeat their 46-9 and nine record. But like <laughs> you said, it, it wouldn't surprise me if they were in contention for the MAC title if they didn't repeat back-to-back because of, like you said, they have such uh, young pieces. Yes, you do have uh, a couple seniors. You have Courtney Veerstra. You have senior McKenzie Moore. But like you said, a lot of good freshmen to look forward to to kind of develop because, like you said, they're do-it-all freshmen who's up for MAC freshman of the year. She's probably going to improve, and, and that's scary to think about if she can even match, if not um, kind of uh, do better than this season. Yeah, I agree with you. So we'll see what happens. Heck of a year for the Red Hawks. Hats off to them. We'll see what they're able to do next season. But moving on to the baseball diamond, we're heading into the final week, Zach, and uh, we had some kind of updates in the baseball standings. We were kind of trying to um, who who would kind of be first in the MAC, and we we kind of have a clear pitch, picture. But for but for now, we still got a final week to uh, decide who's the final um, the champion. Yeah, so we got uh, last week of the season here, Sam. Central Michigan uh, taking a two-game lead into this final weekend of the season. The only other team that can catch them right now are your Cardinals, Sam. Ball State currently in second place at 25-11. and 11. Central Michigan on top of the conference at 27-9. and nine. Central Michigan got a four-game sweep against Eastern Michigan this weekend to get them into that point. And uh, Ball State 
they took the first two against Ohio this weekend, but ended up dropping the second two, which, um, you know, and obviously, you know, put, you know, they split the series with the Bobcats, which not an ideal scenario if you're a Ball State fan, but still Ball State is within striking distance. They're sitting at 25 and 11 uh, Toledo in third place at 21 and 15. I tell you what, Toledo really playing well within the Mac, but yeah, uh, 21 and 15 in the conference, only two and 14 outside of it. You, you think they, uh, you know, wish they probably wish they could have had a better year outside of the conference, but nonetheless, um, so Ball State, Central Michigan, the only two teams still left in contention for the Mac title, as you'll recall, uh, no, no tournament this year. So the regular season champion is going to be the one that, uh, that, that ends up going to the NCAA tournament. Um, so the final series of the, the final weekend of the season uh, happening this weekend, Kent State taking on Eastern Michigan, Central Michigan taking on Toledo, Miami taking on Ball State, Northern Illinois, Bowling Green, and then Ohio, Western Michigan. So this weekend, Sam, it all comes down to this CMU four against Toledo and Ball State four against Miami. So Central Michigan's in first, taking on third place Toledo, Ball State in second, taking on sixth place Miami. I'll ask you, Sam, as a Cardinals fan, it's I mean, they're going to have to win at least three of these games if they want any chance to, to, to take the crown. What do you think their chances are? I I. I, I don't know. It's kind of up in the air. I like the chances from the standpoint of who Central Michigan has to play in Toledo. They're third in the conference, 21 and 15, like you said. Um, but at the same time, like you said, Ball State basically has to win at least three games, and you have to hope for um, Central Michigan to – well, basically – you can have you can win all four, and Central Michigan can only win one, essentially. Yeah, four game series. So basically, if you're in my shoes, you're a Ball State fan. You're 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 basically a Toledo fan, which is you know <laughs> don't, you don't want to ever be a Toledo fan because you know they haven't had the best success. But you have to be for this weekend, and yeah, you're just rooting for Toledo to do everything they can to take down Central Michigan. But at the same time, Ball State, you still have to be able to get it done. Miami, while not really flashy on the standings, we've seen these past two kind of series, you haven't been able to get it done against lesser competition. So you've got you've to gotta worry about yourself be, before turning um, your talents to Toledo and hoping they can knock it out. So Central Michigan, you obviously can't be secure, but knowing you have that kind of two-game buffer you you have to be at least somewhat um I wouldn't say satisfied but you have to at least have a little bit of um kind of clarity that you have that two game buffer in case you do slip up with uh, one of these games yeah no no doubt at all I I agree Sam and you know if if you're looking at Ball State you know the going into Sunday against Ohio this past weekend in the fourth game of that series Ball State really I'm not going to say they had that game one but they were up five to three in the seventh inning and then uh Ohio they they gave up six runs in the final two frames there or final three frames I should say against the Bobcats really just kind of fell apart there at the end so I think if you're a Ball State fan you would really love to have that game back and, uh, you know, wish if they would have closed that out, you're only one game back of the Chippewas now and you have a little bit more wiggle room going to this final weekend of the season against Miami. Like you said, 
because they lost that game and couldn't hang on against Ohio there. Now they really go into the series with, with Miami with essentially no room for error. I mean, if you want to have a good chance, you got to win at least three of these games, if not sweep the series. So we'll see what happens. Like you said, I think they do benefit from the fact that the Chippewas are playing Toledo, who is a little bit having a better season than, uh, than Miami right now. But nonetheless, I think Ball State kind of let an opportunity slip away this past weekend with, uh, with you know, the, losing the last game there against the, uh, against the, the Bobcats. And, and I think well, our, my final thoughts before uh, we move on to our next uh, topic is no matter what happens is I'm hoping for a double bid no matter whether it's yeah. Central Michigan going, claiming the, the MAC championship, or whether it's somehow Ball State uh, manages to overcome that two-game um, hole against Central Michigan, is both of these teams, I think, uh, from my perspective, not just as a Ball State fan, but a MAC fan in general, both these teams, I think, deserve to head to – where is the NCAA regional held, you, would you know? Uh, well, I mean, they, they have regionals there. They have a bunch of sub regionals and then they got the college world series there in Omaha. Um, so they, they do it the same way they do the basketball tournament, okay. with, you know, various, various locations around the country. I agree with you though. It would be awesome if the Mac could get two bids here, obviously, you know, ball state and, uh, and central Michigan, both having, uh, both having great seasons, central Michigan, uh, sitting on top of the conference there. Uh, they're, you know, 36 and 16 overall, Ball State 34 and 18. And especially when you think about Ball State, Sam, you know, even though, um, you know, they, they might not win the conference, they have some great wins in the non-conference. You go back to when the season first started back in February, they split four games with Arizona in Arizona. They, they took two out of three from Kentucky at Kentucky. I mean, those are, those are really, really good wins. So you'd like to think, that uh, the the NCA selection committee would would take that into account when they're handing out automatic or I'm sorry um, at large bids. We'll see though. We'll see if the the Cardinals resume is strong enough to get them in. But uh, moving to our next segment, uh, like we we talked about earlier, football season is right around the corner, and the college football season win totals have been released. So we wanted to take you guys through kind of um, briefly what your team's kind of total is and kind of give our thoughts on who's too high, who's too low. So Zach, if you want to briefly kind of run through each uh, team's total. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. No problem. Um, so yeah, everyone, uh, as Sam mentioned, um, the, these uh, the, the over-unders for the season win totals for all division one teams came out the other day. The, uh, the numbers we're using here are from DraftKings. Um, so these are widely available. You can find them. Um, so yeah, let's run down through it here, Sam. I, I got them listed here in descending order from highest to lowest. Um, so highest total here for the Mac this year, I, this surprised me a little bit, Sam, but they got Buffalo sitting at eight and a half wins, highest conference, highest total in the, in the conference that implies that, you know, DraftKings and the sports books in Vegas, it, they think Buffalo is going to be the best team in the Mac this year, which really surprises me. Um, right below Buffalo, you got Ball State and Toledo both at eight. Then you have Eastern Michigan, Central Michigan, and Ohio at six and a half. Western Michigan coming in at six. Kent State at five. Miami at four and a half. Northern Illinois at four. Bowling Green, I'm sorry, Akron at two and a half. And then Bowling Green 
my goodness, how the Falcons have fallen over the last five years. They're sitting there at one and a half at the bottom of the conference and actually one of the lowest win totals in the entire country. Uh, I think there's only a few teams that were lower than them that only had one win. I know one of them was Kansas. I think there were a few more, but nonetheless, um, not, not, uh, not in a great place right now if, if you're a Falcons fan. So anyway, Sam, that's it right there. Buffalo at the top, Bowling Green at the bottom. A lot of uh, dispersion in the middle there. Curious to get your your uh, your initial thoughts on some of these totals. Um, yeah, I I think for me, I think I'm a little bit. This isn't who's too low for me, but I think I am. I I think Akron's going to surprise some people. I know yeah. I've been talking up them for past couple episodes. I think that two and a half. I think Akron's going to maybe not be able to get six wins to get a bowl game, but I think they could get a solid four or five win, which I think is all you're hoping for out of Tom Mark coming into is this is going to be his third year, third, I would say kind of two and a half considering last year you only had six games. But the point is I, I really like Akron's chances to do some work in this um, conference considering the Mac East. I, I don't really, in my mind, I don't really have a clear picture who's really – going to be the top considering the turmoil um buffalo's had this weekend you obviously don't really know how miami ohio is going to do with all their kind of uh departures they've had i i think the mac east is a a division that's going to be up for grabs in it and i think akron could kind of make some noise um coming out of the mac east i agree completely sam um when i look at two and a half wins i so i think akron has the talent to to get above two wins and then I think once you once you determine that, then it becomes, okay, let's look at the schedule. Like, where are those wins going to come from? You open the season at Auburn. We'll write that one off. <laughs> yeah. We'll write yeah. that one off. But after that, I mean, your next two games, you got two home games against Temple and Bryant. Now, Bryant, an FCS team, not a particularly good one at that. I think we can say that's a game right there that Akron should probably win. Temple is a team that four or five years ago, Temple was a really solid program, but Matt Rule leaves for Baylor, and then obviously from Baylor goes to um, the, the Panthers. And since Matt Rule left, the program has has gone downhill a little bit. Former Northern Illinois coach Rod Carey is now at Temple, and um, there's been a lot of turmoil there at Temple. There's been a lot of roster turnover, a lot of uh, talk of him not having the locker room and guys not wanting to play for him. They had a ton of dudes training for this past year they did not have a good season this year so again I'm not saying that's a game that Akron will win but I say I I am saying especially since at home it's at home I think that is a winnable game I mean this is a Temple team that was one in six last year um, in the AAC so that's a game that I think Akron could win Bryant obviously I think they will win Bowling Green is a game that I think I think both teams will have that game circled as games that they want to win and think they should win. So there's three very winnable games right there. I think um, Miami is a potential winnable game as well as is Ohio. Those may maybe a little bit less so, but you especially going on the road to Miami and then you never know. They could always steal one. They got Buffalo at home. They got Ball State at home. They got Kent State at home. You never know. But I, I'm with you, Sam. I do think temp or I'm sorry. I do think Akron could get over that number at least get to three. I don't know. We'll see what happens. I think if they get to three or four wins this year, I think a lot of Akron fans will call that progress. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, Zach, take me through your thought process on who you think is too high. 
Yeah. So um, I, I kind of hinted at this earlier, Sam, but I just, I, I, I can't see how Buffalo's total is so high at eight and a half. Obviously they've had, they're coming off of a couple of really good years with Lance Leipold, but Lance Leipold's gone. He's gone to Kansas. I, you have a whole new coaching staff coming in. We talked about it early. 13 guys are in the transfer portal right now. Jarrett Patterson's gone. Malcolm Kuntz is gone. So there's, you're, you're losing a lot of, a lot, so much talent. And I, I still think, I think the bulls still will have the talent to, to win six games and, and get to a bowl game, but I don't see them getting nine wins. I mean, once again, let, let's look at the schedule. Where, where are the wins going to come from? You know, you, you open up the year versus Wagner an FCS team. Okay. We, we can call that a win. Week two, you go down to Lincoln to take on Nebraska. Nebraska, they've had a couple down years here over the last few years, and I think a lot of people are starting to question Scott Frost there, but that's still not an easy game. Week three, you got Coastal Carolina, who finished last season in the top 15. That's not an easy game either. Um, Old Dominion, probably, I, I think we can I don't know. Well, I won't speak for you, Sam, but I think Buffalo can win that game against mm -hmm. Old Dominion. So I think we're at two right there. But then when you look at the MAC, I mean, you know, this is a, a, a tough, a tough conference this year. You got Western Michigan with Caleb Ellaby coming back. Then you go to Kent State to play, play Dustin Crum, Ohio. Um, Akron is, is probably a game they, they can win. Same with Bowling Green. Then you go to Miami, to Ball State. I think. I'm looking at a team here. I'm seeing two and two in the non-conference. I don't see any way that Buffalo is going, uh, what, what would that be? Eight and one in the conference next year or seven and one in the conference next year. I don't see that happening. I see the bulls as like a six and six, seven and five team next year. I don't think there's any way they go over that eight and a half total. I'm going to, I'm going to make a bold statement and I don't even think Buffalo's going to get a bull win. I, I just, wow. I just don't see it in their future. I, th I think people are buying – now, again, their new head coach may just come in all firing and have a great first season, and they just shock everybody. But I think from the amount of players we see in the portal, we, we, we've talked about the amount of players that entered the draft that got – well, didn't get drafted, but got signed to UDFAs. I just think there's too much roster turmoil, and you just basically have to rebuild this program that I don't think that this short of an offseason is good enough as good of their their remaining talent is to get them ready to win nine games. That's You only get three losses in a 12-game uh, season. Uh, otherwise, you don't cover it. And I think Buffalo's expectations is way too high for where they're currently at because we don't even know what this – program's going to look like we don't know the, what the offense obviously we talked about how how the offense coordinator should be a good fit but I want to see how this offense performs you obviously have Kevin Marshall but you still have Calvin and Trees you have a lot of pieces missing on both the offense and defense not only in the transfer portal but going on to the NFL so I I think like you I agree with you I think Buffalo's a little bit too high I I'm going to make the prediction I think they finished the season five and seven you're wow. still figuring out your team. I, I think it's going to be too much in too short of a time for Buffalo to overcome. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I hear you, Sam. I, I um, you know, I, I could easily see it going that way. Um, how, how about on your, on your side, Sam, who, who do you see here as, as too high? I think I go with the easy, easy team to kind of target. And that's Toledo eight wins. I think we've seen this last season 
they don't have the expectations. I, I'm, I'm surprised they're even at eight. They don't have the yeah. expectations that they had last season. And I, I don't even remember their when their um, that what their kind of over under was set at last season. But I think eight's too high. I don't see, I didn't see enough significant improvement this offseason from additions or whatnot to, to justify this eight win mark. And again, they're playing in a tough, um, Mac West Conference. You obviously have Ball State who's returning a lot of their starters. You have uh, Western Michigan who has six uh, over-unders. Eastern Michigan, six and a half. This division is not meant to be messed with. And I just think that Toledo to get eight wins is a little bit reaching considering the um, season they had a uh, this past season. Yeah, I, I'm with you there, Sam. And I think um, they, they, I mean, it's, it's funny because I, I feel like Toledo to me in the Mac is the team, especially under Jason Cam Campbell these last couple of years, they like, it's like they defy all logic. Like they, they return so much production from last year. They got both their quarterbacks back. They have their, you know, continuity on their coaching staff. So much production is returning yet. I still don't expect a ton from them because it seems like they always, they just find ways to lose games. You think back to the uh, the the Western Michigan game last year or the Ball State game last year, they just I don't know they it, I don't I can't quite put my finger on what it is, but the Rockets just don't I don't know I, they just can't seem to get over that hump. So once again, you know, let's we as we go through this um, as we go through this uh, the 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 schedule, you got to look at okay if they're going to get to eight wins where are those wins going to come from? I mean, you open the season against Norfolk state. Okay. We can call that a win, but then you go to Notre Dame, you take on Colorado state, which is not an easy game. Then you go to ball state in, in, in weeks two through four, the Rockets could easily start the season one and three. And if you start the season one and three, if you're going to get to eight wins, you got to go seven and one the rest of the way. And you still got trips to central Michigan to Ohio. You got to play, um, you know, you got Eastern Michigan at home, which is a local, somewhat of a local rivalry game. I, I mean, I could see the Rockets going seven and five or six and six again. I don't necessarily know if I see them getting to eight wins, though. Yeah, I'm there with you. And you you do have a game against UMass, which should be an easy win. So you sure. obviously have, I think, two built-in easy wins. But like you said, the the Notre Dame, the Colorado State, which is kind of a um, – kind of uh, game against, um, I believe it's Joey Lynch, I think, or Kevin Lynch, one of the uh, Joey Lynch, yeah, Joey Lynch, who's I believe the he's the offense coordinator for Colorado State, isn't he? That's right. Yep. So, so that's an interesting matchup. But I'm just they they get the top recruiting class every year in the MAC, but they, Jason Kendall just doesn't develop the talent that you need to be at the top of the division. That's why you saw Ball State in Western Michigan fighting for the top spot, not not Toledo there at the end. Yeah, I'm with you there, Sam. I, I do think Toledo is too high. And honestly, Sam, I think we're getting to the point now with Jason Candle where if, if the Rockets don't produce this year and don't have a bounce back season, I think he is going to be on the hot seat. I think we're going to see some people in the Toledo fan base that are, are, are starting to get frustrated with him. So I think a big year for Coach Candle and the staff there in Toledo. With that being said, Zach, who do you have as your uh, too low team? You know, I, I almost had to do a double take. And, and I almost, when I saw this, I almost had to deposit a little money in DraftKings and, and, and put, a, put my money where my mouth is here because I, I cannot believe that Kent State's season win total is only five. 
I mean, you got Dustin Crum, the best quarterback in the conference coming back. I know they lost Isaiah McCoy. He was their leading receiver last year, but Ja'Shawn Polk, your second leading receiver, he's back. He had 320. He averaged 15.5 yards per cash and had three touchdowns last year. You got Isaac Vance, your third leading receiver. He's back. And on top of that, you also bring in a grad transfer, Nikeen Johnson, as a slot receiver from Syracuse. His last full season as a healthy player back in 2018, 41 catches, 565 yards, four touchdowns. Last year in the pandemic shortened season, he had uh, he averaged 16 yards per catch and had four additional touchdowns. So yes, I know Isaiah McCoy is gone and, and he – I'm not discounting that. I mean, he was an all-star, you know, an all-Mac player last year. But, I mean, Dustin Crum completed 74% of his passes. His running backs averaged over six yards per carry. Both of their leading rushers are back from last year, being Brian Bradford and Ja'Shawn Polk. They're both uh, – I'm sorry, not Ja'Shawn Polk, Marquez Cooper. They're both um, They're both back. You had three all-Mac linemen last year. They're all back. Essentially, the entire two deep on offense is back. And, and this is an offense last year that was ridiculous. The defense needs some work. No doubt the defense needs some work. But again, when you when you look at the the, the golden flashes schedule this year, if if we're trying, if we only need to get the five wins, let's so let's look at the schedule. The non-conference schedule for for Kent State, more so than any other team in the MAC, it's it's tough. I mean, you got Texas A&M, Iowa, and Maryland all on the road. I think we can agree that those are probably three losses. Maybe you can steal a win at Maryland, maybe, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bank on that. Then you got VMI, so you got we're looking at probably one and three realistically in the non-conference. So if Kent State's really only winning five games next year, that means they're going four and four in the MAC. I can't see any scenario where Kent State's going four and four in the MAC. I mean, you open up with Bowling Green and Buffalo at home. I think we can both agree Bowling Green next year, probably not beating Kent State. We already talked about how Buffalo has all this roster turnover. Then you got Western Michigan, Ohio, Northern Illinois, Central Michigan, Akron. I'm looking at this. I, I think right now Bowling Green, Buffalo, at Ohio, at Akron, Miami at home. I think that's five wins right there. And then you add in VMI on top of that. I, I see Kent State win in seven, eight games next year. I don't see any scenario where Kent State goes five and seven. No way. I, I'm with you that they're too low. I, I think it all depends on the defense. And yes. last season, I think, was one of the worst defensive performances I've ever seen out of a group. Like, Kent State shouldn't have even gotten the wins that they did. Like, I'm just going to be frank. If it wasn't for Dustin Crum and Isaiah McCoy just scoring 50 points a game, they probably would have had zero wins. And I, I stand by that statement. And if they can have a semi-decent defense, I see no reason why Kent State can't go into a Maryland um, opponent who got blown out by, like, 40 to Northwestern. Yeah. Pull out a win. I see no reason why – Kent State can't beat up on their their fellow MAC conference with Dustin Crum, Isaiah McCoy, and and my like my friends joke around with me that I have a Dustin Crum kind of man crush, and I do. He's <laughs> just a amazing quarterback that that's just unbelievable. Like if I'm if I'm starting a MAC program, I want a quarterback like Dustin Crum and just have an air raid offense that he's just gonna just have five thousand whatever yards off of. And I, I see no reason why he can't 
just dominate the MAC conference like he's been doing for the past. Was it four? This is his what fifth season now, right? Yeah, yeah. Like you're right. You're telling me he can't do the same thing he did last season with the same offense with more games, and obviously you're losing a big part in Isaiah McCoy. But like you said, your leading rusher is still returning. You have t- your best um, second and third receiving option returning. So if you can replace Isaiah McCoy's option, there's no reason why he can't have at least six, seven wins. I do think eight wins is a little bit much depending on their defense. But if their defense is kind of average to 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 good, they could potentially get eight wins there. Yeah, I'm with you, Sam. And, and I agree with you completely. It all comes down to the defense. And here, here's my thing. I agree with you. Kent State's defense last year, I don't, I don't think it's, it's an over-exaggeration to say that they were historically bad. I mean, they were awful. They gave up 38 points a game last year. They, Kent State scored almost 50 points a game, 49.8 points a game last year, gave up 38. So, you know, even if we do, do a conservative estimate, let's say the offense is putting up 40 points a game this year. The defense doesn't even have to be great. They don't even have to be good. They just have to be average. If they can, if they can hold opponents to 30 points a game, they're going to win some football games. 38 points a game, though, is an absurd number to average be giving up every week. I think if they can bring that, rein that in just even a little bit and improve a little bit on that side of the ball, I think Kent State's going to have a heck of a year. We'll see what ends up happening, though. But I do agree with you. It all comes down to the defense for me. Um, what about so on, on your side of the thing, Sam? Here, who, who do you see here as being too low? Um, for me, this may be a surprise to the listeners. I haven't been the biggest fan of Chris Creighton in the past, I've said it many times. But the game that turned my head was when they got that win against Western Michigan. Western mm-hmm. Michigan, obviously, riding high all last season, almost went to the MAC championship game, but ended up losing to Eastern Michigan, and then that kind of determined. Um, that that Ball State game was for the MAC championship game, and that watching that game bought me into Eastern Michigan this upcoming season. Preston Hutchinson, he played phenomenal, phenomenally last season, and I don't see why he's going into a senior season. They didn't lose a, a couple. They did lose a couple guys like their punter, which is big, but they added a couple Power Five transfers. They just added on to their their team and. Um, I believe they lost somebody to the draft, maybe like one person. But other than that, most of their rosters are turning. And behind Preston Hutchinson, I'm watching that that Ball State game, and they they potentially could have run the table with that. Um, was it? Didn't they? Don't they do a um, RPO style of offense? If I'm not they mistaken? do they? Yeah, they do. Yeah, because Preston Hutchinson runs a lot too. Yeah, their losses: 23-27 Kent State, 31-38 Ball State. You did have a terrible loss against Toledo, 28-45, but a 23-31 Central Michigan. So you potentially could have went five and one instead of two and four. And you you add to the fact power five transfers, you get more games. Their, their schedule, I'm looking at their schedule. They started the season against St. Francis. We're taking yeah. an easy one there, I'm just going to say. You got a game against Wisconsin. Okay, probably not going to win that. A game against UMass, Te- Texas State, Northern Illinois, Miami, Ohio, Ball State, Bowling Green, Toledo, Ohio, Western Michigan, Central Michigan. You're telling me that that's there's not a clear path to seven, eight wins yeah. there? I, yeah. I think you're, you're crazy. 
I think the one problem I have is what I go to every time I bring up Chris Creighton and his matter of fact that his teams are really good. They just don't perform well in the Mac West. And that's my only concern heading into the season, but they have the team built to do something special. And if they don't, I'll be surely disappointed because they should have a clear path to do something really special here. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Sam. This, this is another one. I think two, two things for me that, that really point to the over for Eastern Michigan. First off, it's the continuity of they, they have 10 starters coming back on offense. The offense was really good last year, and they have 10 guys coming back. You mentioned Preston Hutchinson completed 64% of his passes. And he also, you know, like we said, he, he's a dual threat as well. I mean, he, he rushed for six touchdowns last year and, and uh, over 300 yards rushing in, uh, in six games. They also have, they have their top two wide receivers back, Hassan Badoon and Tanner New, and as well as tight end Bryson Cannon. And uh, the offensive line was solid. I think the other thing that Eastern Michigan really has going for them is that more so than all of these other MAC teams that we've talked about in the non-conference schedule, Eastern Michigan has a very manageable non-conference schedule. I mean, outside of that game at Wisconsin, I think they should win all three of those games. I mean, St. Francis, UMass, and Texas State, none of them particularly good programs. So you, you figure there with the non-conference, you're looking at realistically probably a three-and-one start. Then you open up MAC play at Northern Illinois and Miami of Ohio at home. I think we can probably agree that Eastern Michigan should win that game at Northern Illinois. The Miami-Ohio game at home, that's a coin flip, but I'll give Eastern Michigan the benefit of the doubt for it being in Ypsilanti. So realistic, I mean, you could be looking at a five-and-one start going into that game against Ball State on October 16th. Even if you lose that game against Ball State, you got Bowling Green the next week. So I, I, I could easily see a situation where Eastern Michigan's going into November sitting at six and two um, with, with you know three games left, uh, or I should say four games left to get one more win and hit over the total. I agree with you, Sam. I, I, I do like the over for Eastern Michigan here. Yeah, and, and but uh, this is only prediction, so – we can only um, uh, predict what we think is going to happen. We won't know until these teams actually hit the field come, what is it, uh, uh, probably August, right? Yeah, I think the week one, I think, is uh, – well, I think there's some week zero games like August 28th, and then we got the first weekend of September is the first full weekend. So we got June, July, and then – so basically three months left. There's still a lot to be decided. There's still a lot to be talked about between now and then. But Zach, before we wrap up episode 47, is there any uh, final thoughts for the people? No, nothing too crazy, man. I just, you know, talking about football like this gets me fired up for the season. I'm, I'm ready for it to be here. I know everyone listening is too. So um, I definitely, you know, we'll, we'll have some more content, some more football content here as the summer progresses. Really looking forward to being able to watch some games again here in the fall though. Yeah, I'm there with you. That uh, Glass Bowl news really got me hyped. Hopefully we can see more stadiums 100% capacity. Hopefully we, hopefully I get to experience the Schumann Stadium once again full capacity because I know I'm ready for it. I, I think everybody's ready for it. Playoff basketball has been insane. Watching Madison Square Garden just be insane. Yeah, yeah. Playoffs. Uh, everybody's wanting the the full capacity back, and, and it just gets me excited. But Anyway, um, hopefully you guys did enjoy episode 47. For Zach Faldor, I'm Sam Pillman. We'll talk to you guys next Friday.